Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. Got my man Robert Mendoza, who's the head chef of La Saint Sebastian in Paris, France. Robert, my friend, thanks for taking some time. Oh, dude, thank you. Uh, thank you for asking me. This is a, a first for me, actually. <laughs> this is great. I was compelled, having been Facebook friends for a while, I've just been scanning the interwebs, looking for people putting out positivity, and you posted a video just outside of the restaurant, just talking about the scene, the vibe, what's happening with you, what's going on with the restaurant, and so I wanted to share that. That's what this is all about, So, but I want to take people back a little bit to give a background of how you ended up in Paris and then talk about the scene in Paris as it stands today. So you came up in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, spent time kind of in the Northwest. Then you hit spot stops in Mexico City, Catbird Seed in Nashville, yep. uh, Verjou in Paris, France. So talk about coming up in the industry, starting in Portland and just real quick, kind of like take us through how the hell you ended up in all these different <laughs> places, why that travel bug kind of hit you when it came to cooking? Yeah. Um, well, like you said, I started in Portland, Oregon. Um, I started cooking because I had really had no other option. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I knew I wasn't going to go to school. I didn't have money to go to college. Um, and to be honest, like I I had just read, when I was 17, I read Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. And I was like, I want to do that. Like, you want to be a pirate. Just, yeah. Like I just want to do that. That sounds, it's, just like exactly how I think about things, just like my mindset. Um, I never wanted to be a nine to five kind of person. Um, I just wanted to, you know, party and cook and make people happy, uh, which is which is that. Uh, but yeah, I started in Portland, which it was uh, in early 2000s or 2006, around that time when like uh, the Portland got on the map because of a restaurant called. Um, uh, Le Pigeon. Yeah. Um, Gabriel and, Rucker's place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I was like in this bubble that I had no idea that I was in this bubble where like every restaurant was so good. Like no matter where you worked in Portland, like you had the best produce, um, just like amazing chefs that like uh, I used, one of my first chefs was uh, this guy named Henry Kibbett. And he uh, worked at Bouchon, um, you know, like under like the Thomas Keller whole thing and like yeah. just stuff like that. All these people had come to Portland because it was cheap and great product. And I grew up with that without even knowing. <laughs> yeah, it's um, a good scene. There's so many great restaurants. I think of Nong's Cowman Guy and Pac yeah. and Gabriel Rucker's got a couple great places. Sure. Aaron Bennett, like so many good chefs. Yeah. Carlo the Magna is doing great stuff now. Oh, so absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, and all of them are like uh, like Gregory Gordet, like really good friends of mine that are like crushing. Um, but this was like, you know, a long time ago before Instagram, before um, YouTube, <laughs> you know, it was just like, um, all the information you would get was from books 
and from other people that would travel and they would come back and they would tell you, you know. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah, so I, I used to work with this guy named Mark Wooten and uh, he owns a restaurant called uh, Little Rabbit, Little Conejo or something like that. It's a taqueria in Vancouver, actually, just across the river in Portland. But we used to work together many years ago and he, I still remember the first time he brought in uh, the Manresa cookbook. And I was like, what is this? What is this? And just like flipping through it, flipping through it. And like, I asked him to borrow it and then just like doing that. And then uh, I would go to Powell's bookstore because um, I didn't have any money. Mm, yeah. yeah. And like it has like one of the biggest uh, cooking sections ever. Like, like, I think it's like three to four aisles of just cookbooks. When I used to go there, I didn't have much money back then. So I just to go there and sit down. I just grab a book and I start reading it, looking through it. And I'll just like hang out in, at Powell's. Um, and this is like how I started discovering the world. Like that's how I discovered uh, Grand Ackett, Alinea, and um, like so many, so many other restaurants. And then, um, yeah, like that's kind of how the travel thing started. Like I always wanted to work for the best. And uh, yeah, I just went for it. <laughs> I love that. And then so you're at, uh, you know, Willow's Inn in Washington. And so yeah. you kind of venture outside of Portland and then you go down to, to Mexico and yep. then you're going international. And that kind of yep. kind of clearly yeah. was important to you. So why was it important to make the, the trek down to Mexico? Um, honestly, it was um, I lived in Mexico when I was a kid. Actually, this is something that not many people know, of, but when I was uh, from 12 to 14, I lived with my grandparents in the middle of nowhere in Mexico, like up in the mountains of Guerrero, where there's literally like barely any electricity, if there's any, um, it's literally like the real deal. And um, to be honest, like I grew, I had already grown up in the States and all I wanted was like cheeseburgers, <laughs> you know, and like watch cartoons and just do that. And, um, I had to do chores. I have to. I had to um, water the plants, harvest the vegetables, uh, take care of the animals. You know, all these. Like right now, I look back and I'm like, I was such an idiot. Like I would love to do that right now. To have that right now yeah. would be so great. But back then, I was just like this spoiled little kid that was just like, you know, just not very grateful about that. Um, but I think that's kind of like what also started me in this path a little bit. Just like my grandparents and seeing how they lived. And basically, if we didn't grow it, we didn't eat it. Um, and just the respect we had for the for the animals that were growing. Like, I remember, like, when I was 13, I had to butcher a pig. And, like, I had to, like, actually, like, you know. And, um, you know, yeah. And I was just so sad. And I wouldn't eat it. Like, I just wouldn't eat it. And, like, my grandfather, like, sat me down. And he, like, brought me some carnitas made from that pig. And he's like, listen, like, this pig, like, lived his whole life. And like now it's going to like support our life and he's going to be a part of us, you know, and like this is like how it is, like having that utmost respect for for like, you know, the produce, living things, like just taking care of things. Um, and that's like a thing that like I like was fortified working at the Willows Inn under Blaine Wetzel, like he like foraging and just like really like, you know, um, identifying the product at their peak moment. Yeah. And then, you know, it's like, it's only like a two week window when like, you know, the salmon berries are at their best or um, just, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, just 
little things like that that I've uh, been very fortunate to experience. What are a couple of the dishes? Now I'm inspired. Like, what are the couple of the dishes that you were cooking with Abuelita from the garden? Or you know? <laughs> well, um, let's see. Like one of the things that we ate as breakfast was uh, chilaquiles, of course. Um, she would make killer albondigas. Um, I think it's one of my favorite dishes. It's just like um, ground um, chicken uh, meatballs with mint. And it's just like in this like really hearty broth. Super, super good. Um, and yeah, all of that would, all the herbs and like all, like we would go for, pick a lemon from the tree, you know, and just like cut it. Like it literally was like hanging from a tree like seconds ago, stuff like that, that like, um, I'm very fortunate to like look back and be like, whoa, that's sick. <laughs> awesome. All right. So then you make the trek across the pond. Uh, yeah. I mean, historic yeah. restaurant as well. Yeah. And then that experience, <laughs> yeah. what was it like for you going? Do you speak French fluently? Uh, right now? Yes. Uh, when I okay, first good. moved here, no, I've been here for a little bit over four years. Um, but when I first moved here, um, right before I was working in, in the, at the Catbird Seat in Nashville under Ryan Poley. Um, and that was, that was like probably one of the, my favorite restaurants I've ever worked at. Um, it was, you know, um, the Willows Inn was really intense and like really fun. But just like it was very like we're, we're, we're like going for it, you know, it was like just a push, 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 push yeah. type of restaurant where um, the catbird was the same, but it was fun. Where mm -hmm. like Ryan Poldy, we would like start dancing in the middle of service, you know, and like we would just stop cooking and like just turn off the music and just start, start dancing and people would just like get into it. It's like an 18 seat restaurant where we're playing um, Chicago house music, you know, during service and like you know, cooking like some of the most amazing food you would ever have. And it was just more about like the, the experience, like the time of being there, just having fun and like, you know, um, yeah. So while I was there, I actually, I moved to Nashville for a girl and I actually, um, we broke up. And then, um, so that's like, uh, I was like, okay, um, what have I always wanted to do? Like always, and I was like, uh, go to France. So I just moved <laughs> without really thinking about like, this is what I do. I just like, um, I pick a couple of restaurants that I want to work at in a city and then yeah. I just go for it. I just move like, like no, you know, I had, I think when I first moved to Paris, I think I had like 300 euros in my pocket, you know, okay. and like, that's it. Um, and yeah, just kind of backing myself up to a wall and like have no room for any, um, failure really <laughs> like I had yeah, to we'll talk about I'm, I'm very interested then in the difference you're just talking about the difference between willow Inn and maybe that from portland that from mexico now that from nashville and catbird seat yeah now you're at verju you're in paris like the epicenter of where guys like us coming up in the 2000s yeah. were like that's it that's where yeah. food exists at the highest levels sure. before america kind of ha had its boom time and really came up and is now at the forefront as well. So I'm interested the difference in potentially the kitchen culture mm -hmm. and the difference in the guest and dining culture. Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was definitely like a culture shock. I, um, to be honest, when I first got here, um, I had a pretty good resume and like uh, letters of recommendations from like, you know, my heroes. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I applied to my first, my top five restaurants. I'm not going to tell you which ones they were, but um, 
they all like sat me down. We had interviews and they asked me, do you have a visa? And I said, no. Mm. And they're like, yeah, sorry, man. Like you're not going to work here. And like one by one. And then there's like the last, my last interview, um, the chef actually like asked me, do I have a, if I had a visa? And he said, I said, no. And then he just like got up and he's like, sorry, man. It just like left me sitting there. Like, and then I'm just like, okay, like, um, Actually, I think he he told me you will never work in Paris without a visa. Shit, man, yeah. you just moved there, and all you got is three hundred euros. You can't even get back home, dude. No, I'm stuck. <laughs> and like the thing is, like I can't even call my parents for like uh, help. Like um, we're poor. Like it's not like um, we grow up with money, and I can just be like, hey, parents, like bail me out. Like I'm like super f. So like I left um, that restaurant, um, <laughs> <W2> <laughs> um and um, just kind of like with the fire in my stomach where I'm like, no, fuck that guy. Like, no, fuck that guy. And I just like went to a cafe, wrote like the next five uh, restaurants and Berju happened to be at the top of that list. And then um, I showed up, I gave him my resume and he's like, dude, what the fuck? You want to work here? And I was like, please. <laughs> I uh, went to a uh, stars the next day just to, to trail for three hours. And then after the, after three hours, he like sat me down. He's like, all right, like, what do you need from us? Like, and I'm like, I don't have a, yeah, I was like, I don't have a visa. He's like, all right, done. And just like that, like a month later, I had a visa. I was working full time and like, uh, I applied for like a chef de party, but I think like, uh, like after a month, uh, I was a sous chef there. Um, yeah and just kind of worked there for two years. Um, one of the main differences of working in kitchens in Europe than in the States or in Mexico is like, we get to work with raw product. Like, you know, like scallops come in the shell and they're alive, like squid are alive, like, you know, shit like that. Oh, yeah. that like, just like real raw, like nothing is like in vacuum pack, no nothing is vacuum sealed or you know stuff like that or sous vide or nothing it's just like you get like um like during deer season we're getting like full-on deer with fur and stuff like that you know it's like a different experience where yeah. you're not just getting like a loin and you're portioning a loin or you're cleaning up a loin or, of something you're actually like breaking down animals and like um yeah like even fish come whole with guts and scales and everything like that's a standard like it's not like you're getting a, a fillet of a salmon and you're skinning it and portioning it. And like, that's all you have to do is like, no dude, like you have to gut it. You have to scale it. You have to like, you know, do all these other things before you get to the point where you I used to get it back home in the States. Uh, you have to do everything except fish it out of the water, basically. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. Or shoot it with a rifle in the, in the case well, of the deer. Yeah. And like, for me, like that's really exciting to work with stuff like that. Um, Cause like other than like the willows in, I've never really experienced stuff like that. And for me, I think it's very important to see things as they are like raw and like have that interaction with, um, you know, like any protein or anything that you're working with. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's different. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I hear that. And it, it takes me right back to Mexico and yeah. the pig. <laughs> and the carnitas, like if you want the carnitas, you're gonna have to kill the pig. So right. I think that's fascinating. The other thing that really struck me in hearing what you're talking about, and then knowing the connection that you have with the family in Mexico, 
you're an immigrant again in a different way. <laughs> you're struggling through the challenges that undocumented sure. workers were the backbone of the industry in America and oh, so many man. other countries. Uh, you know, I think of in Germany, the Turkish immigrants are the backbone of a lot of restaurants. For we don't sure. think about that here because we think of Mexicans as yeah. the immigrants. So for you, did that feel all of a sudden like you were an earlier generation of your family making their yeah, way to America? Like, um, uh, to be completely honest, like I've never been felt more connected to my parents yeah. um, than like my like one of my first couple of years here. Because like, you know, I definitely felt the like my parents don't even speak English still, you know, and they've been living in the States for a long time. But like just like even like that language barrier where um, even going to a bakery when I first moved here and like asking for like anything and just like like how difficult that is just to like ask for something and like not being able to communicate and um, just like just these struggles that like these minuscule struggles that like seem so little, but they're actually like like huge, like they affect you, you know? Um, so well, yeah. You were lucky, I mean, you spoke English and you know that at least there's quite a few places in Paris where people speak English versus yeah. only speaking Spanish and coming to the States. Yeah. So like even sure. that you had a little bit of a leg up and you spoke exactly. kitchen language, which yeah. is all French anyway. Yeah. So you already exactly. had some and that's that. the thing, like once you know, like, uh, you know, uh, I think at that point I've been in restaurants for like 11 years and like you, you can just observe like what's going on and you can pick it up and like you can read a ticket you know, like you just learn what the proteins or whatever. And like, you just look around and like, like Verjou was a tasting menu. So you can see like, all right, the guy that is like um, two courses before my course is going on three by two by three by two. It's like, all right, I need to be three by two by three by two, you know, like just kind of be like very observant. And like, you don't really have to speak any language if you just know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Totally true. A lot of times. Yeah. You're not speaking anyway. You're just saying yeah. "me chef" the whole time. Yeah. You're just going to be able to count and yeah. recognize the tickets to the point that you're making. All right. So yeah. now I want to get uh, current. So mm -hmm. you're at uh, La Saint Sebastian, and the shit hits the fan. You're in all of this. You know, your first yeah. like head chef position oh. in Paris, oh. France. Like it's all yeah. the things you've ever dreamed about, yeah. and then this happens. So kind of take us through. What was happening just before this is you're kind of hitting stride as the head chef there. Yeah. Uh, and this happens and kind of the pivot or what's going on with you and your crew right now. So we've been open for a year and a half. I think that um, since the beginning, I think we were getting pretty good reviews and like people are coming in and like slowly like um, you're getting busier and busier and um i think like last year after summer was like our ultimate like whoa we're like packed every day we're like refusing people like you know you we're at the place where we wanted to be and it felt really good it was like amazing and i had a full team like my sous chef like i had a cooks and like uh, um i started working with uh schools like for me it's very important to like um get involved with the schools and um just kind of like in, get involved with the next generation of like cooks that are going to be you know handling this shit later um because and, they start very young there right there's culinary programs in like middle school school lunches let's not even fucking go into school lunches yeah. the difference between school lunch oh, there versus geez. here so it's like um, not, it's, yeah. that's a whole other show for sure oh, uh, geez, so for you then 
you're at that moment you have your your hidden stride like you're really yeah yeah you know like it's like like the first menu was like not really like what i thought it was gonna be but then we start working on it and then like after a year it's like all right cool like you know i feel like i'm starting to get my voice of like what the food i wanted to look like what i want to taste like um just like um really comforting but um just in a very in in a different perspective just like something different uh, it's a very limited small menu uh, we do 12 courses including dessert or 12 dishes actually it's a la carte restaurant um so we do 12 dishes um and the menu is broken down with like uh, starters mains and desserts um so it's a very small um small menu um and the idea behind that was just like we needed to like have all focus on like what we have like we couldn't like do a huge thing like i would just want to be very focused very clean and like uh full attention on what we're doing even if we're doing like you know we're um doing two turns in a night you know we can still like do a really really good job um so we were hearing uh, hearing about this coronavirus uh early on this year keeping up on the news and uh i had scheduled a vacation um with my girlfriend and that's something that like one of the reasons why I wanted to get on this podcast is because of this. Like, I'm usually like, I feel like I'm, I'm a very quiet person and I don't really like speak, you know, I'm not very like a, I don't know. Um, but for me, I think it's very important to like show the difference between like Europe and the U S right now, you know, and just kind of like, there's no reason why we can't have what we have in Europe in the U S you know, um and one of those things was um vacation time <laughs> i know it's a big like a big thing but like i like i think what is that robert tell me about this vacation time <laughs> thing you, know, you speak of i moved to 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 france and um basically everyone kept talking i moved here in like march of 2016 um and everyone was talking about august what are we going to do in august what are you going to do in august and i was like work? work what are you talking about like what what and everyone was just like, no, like, where are you going to go somewhere? I'm like, I'm going to stay here. And they're like, everyone was weirded out. And then August came and the restaurant shut down for a month because everyone goes on vacation and I got paid, you know, and I'm just like, oh, what the, what the fuck? What is, what is this? And holiday. Then like, they call it holiday out there. Yeah. And for three weeks, three weeks, like you just get to do whatever you want. You have money in your pocket and you just like get to refresh. And then we just came back. We come back after um, summer vacation and we're just like ready to go. Like, you know, yeah. just like super like recharged, pumped. Like everyone is just like stoked. Everyone's like telling stories and just like have this like full on energy of like what they've eaten, like what they've seen. And it's like so refreshing. And to me, it was a revelation. It was like, what is this? You know? And yeah. so this is one of the things that like I want to be really outspoken about. Um, especially for like my colleagues at back home where like this should be normal everywhere. There's no reason why it's not. And like, to be honest, like I, I get it a little bit. I'm making far less money than I would be making back home. I can tell you this for sure. And it's that, but the quality of life that I have here. Oh, like I'm close, not even close, you know? So there's that. Let me go back. I'm going on vacation. Uh, we go to Mexico city for two weeks, Oaxaca a little bit for a week as well. And then like, it starts to like shit hit the fan. Like the, the owner of the restaurant calls me 
um, like the first week of March and she's like, Hey, what's going on? Like everyone's freaking out. Like, should we close the restaurant? And I'm like, wow. I mean, I think honestly looking at what was happening in Spain, what was happening in Italy and like, especially in China. And, um, I was just like, yeah, we should definitely just like close it right now and like, you know, figure it out what was going to happen. And then like the day after she, we had that conversation, um, that's when, um, France started their quarantine officially and like everything had to shut down, had to be shut down. So I basically came back for, from Mexico to a shutdown restaurant and like no team and just kind of like figuring out what to do. Um, and there's like some other things that were happening at just specifically at my restaurant where uh, my dishwasher had um, like the month prior, my dishwasher had visa problems. So we had to like let him go. So we didn't have a dishwasher um, like, a, I mean, a, a full-time dishwasher um, yeah. you know we had people coming in and like wash dishes for us like extras and stuff like that but uh we had to like let go of our dishwasher and then like um one of my chef de parties is mexican and he's dealing with visa stuff as well and we we're doing his paperwork but he had to like go back to mexico in order to get that process going and then like this this happened so we basically right now i didn't and then like stagiaires that we had were like there it was ending anyway so like they're done so fortunately i didn't get to fire anybody or have that experience of just like letting people go or just like having to do that um but the thing is is like that right now we're under something called chomage technique which means it's like we it's like unemployment basically and everyone just gets um unemployment right now similar as the, as the u.s and the only people that are um hired right now in the kitchen is like myself my sous chef and then like two servers and like that's it you know we don't have that that big of staff anyways so i think that like uh money wise it's it's okay um but even that like we're not paying any rent on our space um you know that was like something huge wow. that we don't have to pay any rent why is that uh, the relationship with the landlord? Is that something mandated? No, it's mandated. Yeah, exactly. So that that's like another thing that I think like many chefs have been talking about. I think David Chang has been really outspoken about like the rent and paying the rent and like all that stuff. And like on to be yeah. honest, like, I think that's been a huge like help for us. Um, it's just like you know everyone like understanding that like we're not we're we're not having any revenue right now. We're not doing anything like you know like we shouldn't be. Um, we shouldn't pay. <laughs> um, yeah, anybody who's in development or a landlord, it's an investment property. Investments go up and down. And so it's an sure. interesting conversation. I think needs to happen a lot more. Vacation time, man, does that need to happen? We got a lot yeah. of threads here. We might have to have a weekly thing on documented workers yeah, no, do uh, it. and visas, like yeah. the uh, vacation time. <laughs> The relationship oh, with landlords and real estate is a big oh, burden on the restaurant industry as a whole, the way that that's positioned. So a lot there. I'm interested then now thinking about Paris. Another thing, when tourism has come up a few different times where so many mm -hmm. restaurants have positioned themselves, you know, they're, they're spending more money on marketing outside of their own markets because they're trying to attract, they're in New York, they're trying to attract people from Paris and France. Paris, one of the top tourist cities in the entire world, yeah. as that is a major issue and concern. Have you thought differently about cultivating community 
because it's really got to be local yeah. first. It comes into play in the products you mentioned, but a lot of times Paris restaurants are known for being sometimes more friendly to tourists than they are to locals. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So since the beginning, um, we, when we're developing the restaurant as like the identity and like what we wanted to be and like, who did we wanted to, who do we want to target or cater to? Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, like we were aiming for people from the neighborhood, you know, okay. um, obviously like me being an immigrant or being from the U S there is going to be some people coming from the U S and, um, there, there are, and we we're shooting for like an 80, 20 kind of thing, like 80% like French people, 20% like tourists and stuff like that. Um, and I mean, it didn't really work. <laughs> um, it's kind of like, uh, we were looking at our, um, so one of the ways that we get, we have been able to identify like, uh, the percentage of, um, tourists or, um, specifically like people from the U S um, that were eating at the restaurant, uh, were just by the, by the credit cards. Sure. Um, so we were just like looking at bank statements and then like non-French credit cards versus like a uh, foreign credit cards. Um, and we're at like a 60% foreign. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely. I think that, um, yeah, it's been like a uh, hard, like we, we were, we've been trying not to be like a tourist restaurant. Not that there's anything wrong with that, to be honest, but it was just like, we're trying to like, just be more, uh, catered yeah. to the neighborhood. Like I said, and, uh, just kind of, you know, be French. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I saw you doing a little video outside the restaurant, you know, yeah. and, and so that, so that you're not talking to tourists through that video. No tourists are watching that or yeah. I'm watching it, but I'm not on my way to Paris. Just so you know, uh, yeah. that's for not the yet. local the people in the community. Not yet soon. Yeah. So why was that important for you to be able to tell people what's going on with you to, to communicate? And to your point, you're not this big gregarious personality that's out there yeah. trying to like talk all the time. Uh, you just hustle in the kitchen and have that quiet intensity. So why was it important for you to get out in front of the camera and speak to the people? Um, so it was like a really powerful moment for me. Um, so like, like when I came back from, from Mexico and like, I went to the restaurant, it was just empty. The chairs are up and like, we're trying to figure out what, what, what's our next step. What are we going to be, what are we going to do? Uh, how are we going to like, like, you know, push forward and like, you know, overcome this and just kind of like thinking of strategies and just kind of like, like how to like be proactive, you know, um, I'm, I think that like one of like my, my characters, like especially in the kitchen, is like I don't wait. I'm always very like trying to do something. Like, what's the next thing? Like, let like let's go. Like, you know, let's not wait. <laughs> I hate waiting. Yeah. Um, and yeah. um, you're a natural chef, so impatient. <laughs> oh man! And um, so my friend uh, Luca actually started this thing where he started getting the producers involved. So he would pick a chef every week. He picks a chef every week. And then that chef has to do like a starter main and the dessert. And then he just, um, according to whatever ingredients he uses, he, he sources them from like direct farmers or producers or, um, you know, butchers or stuff like that. Um, and it's just like this initiative that started, uh, through my friend Luca and what's that uh, called? It's called Ona. It's just like a, it's just called Ona O N A. Um, it's a bigger company than that. He just started doing that 
for the for the quarantine because like everything was being cut down and they're like i think that like we need to take care of our producers and like without them if they're fucked we're fucked um yeah you're so not yeah, getting those live scallops and that deer with fur on it and yeah, exactly. fish anymore if they don't exist right um so yeah he started this um um this project and i was fortunate enough to be asked to be a part of that and um it was just like a powerful moment for me because like i don't know it was just like we're in it it just felt like a community you know we're all in it we're here together we're like battling this and um i was just like you know really compelled to just say thank you um you know because like i mean i'm in this position where I'm like, I've been really lucky um, for most of my life. And like, I was just like really touched by like, just like how uh, everyone's working together. Um, and uh, there's like another project by my friend. Um, uh, it's called um, Vida, Vida Local. It's like Vida Loca, Vida Local. And it's like another oh. movement about like, um, just getting people to uh, buy locally, go to local restaurants, you know, kind of like get people more involved in like the community. Um, so is yeah. Is that in Paris or is that in Mexico? It's in Paris. It's in Paris. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah, and then, yeah. And like the other thing that we I've been doing is kind of like my first move when I came back from, from Mexico, I um, kind of assessed the situation for like a couple of days. And then I just kind of was like, can't I can't just do nothing so um I started like volunteering and cooking for for hotel or for um hospitals um so I've been working at um feeding hospital workers uh two times a week um and it's just like I have a team of volunteers we get um produce delivered to us like every day just from like producers and like um we just cook for heaps amount of people um and that's kind of like Good. I think that me being in the kitchen kind of gets me back into like ease a little bit, even though it's very intense and like very like it can be very chaotic at times. It, it's, it kind of brings me back to center in a way where like I'm in a yeah. space that I know uh, in like something that like I'm very like comfortable with. And then I started thinking of like, all right, what, what can we do for the restaurant? What can like we start doing to move forward? Um, so, yeah, I appreciate all that. So then one last little thing, and then we get to playlist items, because I'm very interested to find out what you're playing when you're dancing at Catbird Seat <laughs> or your kitchen now. But I see all, all these interconnecting pieces. We're talking about community. Now you're realizing that you need the locals even more than ever. You think about this produce that you're getting, these products that you're getting, and how unbelievably untouched that they are. And then now knowing that you need to support that. Do, are you thinking even more differently about how much you need to connect directly to the person right down the street or right next to you in the kitchen or right down the valley from you who's producing these products. Do you think we now as chefs, as you in the kitchen, have a bigger responsibility to be a, a sounding board and a conduit for hospitality and for local products, local people? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think that like, for me, one of the things that I've learned early on is like, um, we do our voting with our money, you know? And like, basically yes. like whoever, wherever you buy, wherever you move uh, money towards, like that's kind of like what's gonna be boosted up. And like, that's kind of like, 
uh, one of the ideals that I've had since the beginning is like, who am I giving my money to? Is it like, you know, this farmer that's like producing, you know, just turnips or like this big like chain that is like has everything that I need, but like, is that going to be worth it? Um, so yeah, um, for sure. 100%. I think that like right now more than ever, I think that many people that are, have been in my position have been realizing that like, Oh fuck, like we need to like be very more like attentive to what actions we're taking. Cause like they can definitely, um, affect a lot of people without even noticing, you know, like yep. these slight little things from like buying from certain companies opposed to going to the farmer's market or um, buying direct from the producers or stuff like that. It's very simple. It's like nothing that art is just like, you know, it's just maybe a little bit tedious. I don't know. But yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I hear it, man. Investing your money, your time, your effort, your voice to the people. It's always the people. It's the people that are in the trenches with you. It's the people in your community that you serve. It's the tourists that you serve as well, but it's being like having that identity is important. And then the people behind those products, I think is a really important thing. For so sure. spend, the, spend your money somewhere where you know a human being is usually a good yeah. idea. So oh, I love that. Sure. I love where you're at. And I love that you put yourself into an uncomfortable situation for you, putting yourself out there, speaking more, lending your voice to this, <laughs> being on a show like this, you know, where I'm yeah. bombastic and you're very like, I'm just going to tell you my experience. And I love it, man. I absolutely love it. All right. When Robert Mendoza is fucking grooving in the kitchen, what are you guys listening to? I got to know. Oh, I'll tell you in the, in our kitchens early on coming up, we always listen to dancing on the ceiling. Uh, oh, was like one of those songs that we always listen to Lionel Richie. And if I hear that song now, I can't help it. I just start grooving like I'm in the kitchen. So what are a couple of those songs for you and your team? Um, so we actually have a playlist on Spotify. Um, if you, I'll send you a link or I'll post it on this. Um, and yes. it's called Misen Plazen. Um, it's like Misen Plaz, but like with a German accent. It's pretty uh -huh. good. Um, so good. And basically this, this is a playlist uh, based on so my kitchen right now is very international. Um, yeah. There's me who like I'm American, Mexican American. I have a cook from uh, Mexico, Mexico City. Um, my sous chef is from Australia, and then I had a um, a stagiaire from Korea and another stagiaire from Germany. So it's very wow. like a, a very very international. Is there anybody from France in your kitchen in your restaurant? No, no way, oh. never, <laughs> never. <laughs> Um, but so the music, um, is very, uh, it changes. It goes from like punk rock, dead Kennedys to, I mean, Madonna, um, like Britney Spears, Taylor Swift. We love Taylor it. Swift. We love <laughs> Taylor Swift in the kitchen. Right. Um, yeah. 1992. I think that's the album. Super good. Um, and then also to, um, something that I've been really into recently is, um, uh, world funk is like uh, African funk music. Ooh. It's dude, it's next level. It's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah, I'll send you some stuff. But that's great. Yeah, throw throw the link to the playlist for sure in the comments of this. I'd love for people to be able to listen to that, especially in the kitchen. I think that's amazing. I think when we started out, we had mixtapes still in the kitchen. Yeah, man, yeah I got a fucking sure. Spotify playlist, yeah. man. I oh, love man, it. We had a boombox and like you just put your CD and like people would come in with their CDs to put music in. 
Dude, yeah. it's so great. Robert, I appreciate it. I appreciate that you're you're getting out there lending your voice. I think the thoughtfulness that you put into everything that you do and how you cultivate your community is important, man. So I am absolutely a fan of that side, let alone the cooking that you're doing for sure. So appreciate you, man. All right. I'll check in with you later. Take care. All right. Ciao. So good. Such a good conversation. You know, I love being able to speak to somebody like Robert, who's across the world in a completely different country that's positioned completely different. The industry is different. A lot of the points that he made very important the way that there is a different type of view and investment in the hospitality industry in France. So many things are different yet the same. It's the same. The interaction between humans within and without the restaurant is the same. And I love that about it. That's He's got this international kitchen in Paris, France, and his experience is lending itself to that international experience being the same no matter where you are. And I love that about it, that there's these nuance and differences, and especially in the way that the business is positioned, yet the way that we interact, the way that they're listening to Britney Spears in their kitchen, and I'm sure people are laughing, joking, listening to Britney Spears in kitchens all across this country is amazing as well. So thank you to Robert for lending his voice because like he said, this is, you know, not his wheelhouse. It's not his comfort zone, but he thinks it's important for him to be able to share and use his voice. And I think he does it really, really well. All right, I'll check in with you guys tomorrow. Appreciate you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.